Say one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. You're listening to Song and Story, conversations with songwriters about their songs. You can support this project on Patreon, and you can learn more at songandstorypodcast.com. If you've listened to every episode of this podcast, which I encourage you to do, then you may recall this humorous moment from episode three. The episode is titled The Price of a Memory, and it features a heartbreakingly beautiful song from Rebecca Rubion. At one point in our conversation about the song, she mentioned this episode's featured artist. Here's what she said. But yeah, and actually I had a friend of mine who is such a good musician. Like he's actually classically trained and um, incredible bass player. Scott Mulvihill, do you know Scott? Oh yeah, Scott. Scott's awesome. I don't want to throw him at all. He's he's (laughs) he's much better than I am. And he's he's playing, you know, he he plays bass for me a lot. and, And we collaborate on each other's stuff a lot. And he's like, now that last chord, the D major, I can't, I'm just making it up. I don't even remember which chord it is. He's like, now that's technically dissonant because see, you're in the key of G and, or whatever it is. And I was like, and he's like, do you, now was that a mistake or do you want me to? And I was like, that was intentional, Scott. Like, that's so funny. Like so good that you know, that my stuff is incorrect. Like that's so funny. Um, but it's just it's it cracks me up because he like he's just he's just the next level. Rebecca is correct. Scott Mulvahill is next level. Here's the timeline that exists in my brain, the evolution of Scott Mulvahill in my mind. I first met Scott in 2012. He had been hired by someone else to play bass for me and a few other artists at a show in Nashville. I never met him until the night before the show when I went into rehearse with the band. And my first thought, my very first thought, when I saw him sitting there with his bass guitar was, dude looks like Josh Hartnett. Just Google early 2000s Josh Hartnett and maybe you'll agree that the actor resembles the singer. A year or two later, a Christmas song of mine, a super quirky, fun arrangement of Jingle Bells, was featured on a compilation album with a cadre of independent artists, one of whom was Scott Mulvihill. I had never actually heard him sing before this project, but his arrangement and vocal performance on O Little Town of Bethlehem was beautiful. I heard it and thought, dude's got some pipes. Not long after that, he started recording, releasing, and performing more of his own music. And out of nowhere, it seemed to me, he hit the scene with this impressive, enviable new sound and style, wherein he sings flawlessly while playing the upright bass. To a simple rhythm guitarist like me, Scott's skills are preposterous. I'm Scott Mulvihill from Nashville, Tennessee, and this song is called Fighting for the Wrong Side. Baby, I've been 
girls we fought I thought it was a holy war Smoke crawls back I lift my eyes All this time I was fighting for the wrong side Fighting for the wrong side Like a toy soldier Obeyed every last order To keep The peace So I believed Now you treat me like a stranger Walked out of my life And changed my world The day Smoke crawls back, I lift my eyes All this time I was fighting for the wrong side Fighting for the wrong side mostly a rhythm guitarist i i can write lead stuff but i always have other people play it on the albums because it's not my forte but with what you do it's almost like you're playing lead riffs while singing right which is from my perspective very impressive oh well thank you man um it's like it's developed over time when i met you we would i wouldn't have i was already a writer but i wasn't doing what I'm doing now. So it's actually evolved a lot. Um, as far as the, like the lead lines and the way I play in my songs, um, you know, the point isn't to be like a one man band, but some of the songs I've written just seem to lend themselves to like, it kind of shows the bass, the upright bass in a way that it's just rarely heard, which is this like expansive, you know, very capable instrument that can kind of like, do a lot of things uh and but because of its limitations you know it's it it can do a lot but there's also you know it's it's a difficult instrument to to get to do all the things i wanted to do <laughs> and so right. it's like uh so the limits of it that makes it kind of interesting too to me anyway because it's each song's like a little challenge how do i arrange this to where there's melody there's harmony or at least the impressions of all those things in rhythm. And, and so it's not like I'm like even song, certain songs where I do percussive stuff on the bass, you know, it's not like what a full drummer would drum set player would be playing, but it hints at it. And the same with the harmony, it's not chords so much as notes that are going to give you the impression of chords. So that's where I, you know, what can I do with percussion on the bass here? And what can I, what can I do with the bow? That was an orchestration choice. You know, how do I, make it interesting. They, they come all, all ways. I'm sure you've experienced that too. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I don't know. It's almost like there's, there's one little thing, whether it's a line or riff or a title. Once you get that, it seems to click and the rest kind of falls in line. Yeah, well, I would say that's, 
that thing is is the idea. You know, this each song needs a uh, a strong central idea, and and um, whether that's you know a particular story or a mindset that you're trying to put forth, or you know, I don't know. I, that's one thing that you know when I was a younger writer is like I wish people, I wish someone had kind of listened to all my what I was writing at the time and been like man, you need better ideas. You just, and, and, um, and I can still say that, you know, I, I'm, you, you try to search for better and better ideas all the time, but, um, and it doesn't mean they have to be complicated. Like we all love a good love song and, or, you know, or in, they serve a different mood or whatever, but, but you still need a strong concept, I think. Sure. Well, man, with, um, with this song, the moment it starts, the mood is set. When the first few notes are played on the upright, it kind of just puts you in this place. And other than saying melancholic, it's hard to kind of define that place, you know, especially before the words start coming at you. And I mean melancholic in terms of this kind of, you know, pensive sadness. And the lyrics definitely follow in line with that. Is this you singing the song, or is it somebody else? Oh, it's definitely me. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, that song is definitely born out of um, relationship pain. And, and what's funny though is because I think because it's moody and because it's pensive and and it, you know the whole concept of the song is basically what I believed wasn't true. You know what I thought I was doing for the for good was was not even good and uh the way i wrote it to me it's it's talking about a relationship and um that you know you can invest in and believe in and then and then realize later that uh that you you really shouldn't have (laughs) made that investment um but it's this song actually was the first song that i ever wrote for the upright bass and so so it's it's pretty special to me too in that it was kind of the first attempt at this sound that I'm doing now. And you know what was really interesting is when I put it, I, I just put it on YouTube. I put it online. At the time, I had also entered it in like this guitar-centered contest or something. And okay. Um, and so a lot of people heard it either on YouTube or on that contest. And what was crazy to me was how many different ways people interpreted the meaning of it. And I'd have people comment, you know, some would get it and say, Oh wow, this is a very empowering love song. It's, it's not victim at all. It's, it's, it's kind of waking up into, you know, a new truth. And that's, that's how I see it. But I also had a lot of people, you know, saying, wow, did you leave your religion? Did you, you know, how dare you criticize our American soldiers? You know, I had like all these different interpretations based on what people, you know, whatever they were bringing to the table at that moment. And so uh, it was a fascinating thing for me. It's like, man, this is, uh, songwriting is not just about what I put on the paper, you know, and and people are going to have wildly different interpretations. And I think there's power in that because if you write very specifically, that can give it a sense of like an image and, and like a, a setting. But, but then if you also write vaguely enough, you let other people fill in the gaps. And that's, I think that's powerful too, because you can, you can put your point across without filling every detail. And so it might be more meaningful to those listeners that, you know, even just a phrase of a song or the hook of a song um, will make me think about a certain person or a certain event in my life. And so, so that's, I think that's why certain songs can be really meaningful, even when you don't get all the lyrics. It's like, man, something about this, this one line just made me, just brought up all this history for me. And, and that's a pretty good goal is like, get people to connect with it. However, like open that door for them to connect with it and, and to try to say everything you could possibly say would be saying too much. You know, that that's funny that, that you got those reactions from people because I definitely wondered about a lot of that myself. Um, the intention that you had behind it is how I is how I heard it the first couple times, and as I kind of sat with the lyrics, 
it, it was very clear to me that it had to do with some season of disillusionment, whether or not that was in uh, in the context that seemed apparent, or maybe if it was a reference to some sort of political or spiritual type of disillusionment. But I think what's interesting about it, kind of as you as you said, is that this is kind of how you felt about this experience. And someone else hears it, and they might feel the exact same way about their relationship with some other thing, whether it's a person or an entity right. or an idea. Because I've definitely had people approach me about some of my songs before and say, dude, I love this song was about this. And I was like, wait, what? Where did you, <laughs> where, where did you get that? Um, but what I always appreciate about it is that they're, they're engaging with it, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And the fact that they, that they care enough to do that, that means a lot, even if you're not necessarily on the same page. Yeah, that shows that it's made its way into their brain somehow, and it's, uh, it's doing something in there. <laughs> so yeah, whether or not it's exactly what you meant as the writer. Um, do you care to elaborate at all on any of the specific lines in terms of what you were referencing to within the context of that relationship? Sure. Uh, let me think. At what point did you start to kind of question or doubt it or wonder? If the relationship. That, yeah, that the relationship wasn't quite what you thought it was. Well, you know, it's uh, it's funny and, and revealing too. Like there are probably signs early on, you know, um, and and so like in the in the context of, in, of that relationship and. I don't want to get into all the details of it. Only, yeah, I'm not going to ask you to. Right, so. right. Only because it's like it's not. It's like something that I'm honestly so so past now, and it's like it's like I don't want to like whine about what went wrong or how this person did me wrong or what you know because it's just like that's not that's really not where my head's at anyway, and it's not like none of that's important or whatever. Um, but. I think the first line of the song is I've been naive and foolish, my eyes only seeing what they wish. You know, that, that alludes to the fact that, you know, signs are in front of you anyway. And then they always were, I denied the crimes in front of me is, is, uh, is the next lyric. And, and so it was one of these things that, um, when the whole thing fell apart and this was you know, years ago now, but, um, it was, it, it was suddenly, allowing myself to see how just not right and how broken it was in the first place and what I should have been perceptive enough to and courageous enough to admit in the first place. And that's why that, and that's why the first verse is so you know, self-deprecating. It's like, um, like I've been stupid, you know, not sure. Not even, Oh, you were so bad to me. It's, that's kind of like a, even if that's true, it's, it's not even the main point. It's like, I should have seen better, you know, I should have known better. Right. And so, so you get to the chorus, baby, I've been wrong before. Uh, the battles we fought, I thought they were a holy war. Smoke, bo- smoke rolls back, I lift my eyes. All this time I was fighting for the wrong side. You know, it's just the, obviously trying to trying to use this, like battlefield Im- imagery and uh, the the holy war, you know, it wasn't a holy war. It was, it was just a relationship and it was, you know, and we put so much weight on things sometimes that sure don't deserve it. Um, you know, that prevents you from putting weight on things that do deserve it. And, and uh, so in some ways it's that, you know, open my eyes and fi- I've been fighting for the wrong side. Like that's a, that's like a, hard truth at the time but it's also a like i'm glad that i had that wake up you know right and so so yeah it's definitely um it's definitely pensive it's definitely moody and and a little bit dark without uh, dark is even the right word so much um just yeah it's it's no go ahead well okay so um right now in my (laughs) dining room and and uh, and across the street from me are my neighbors, Pat and Lloyd, and they're awesome. And these are, you know, these are like a retired couple, sweetest people ever. And uh, Pat goes, "Oh, Scott, 
I just love that song where it's just you and the bass and you're so pissed off. And, uh, <laughs> and, I said, and you know, I don't know exactly what you say to your, your neighbor, but I think I said, you know, good, you know, I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> I did not deny that I was pissed off in that song. You know, it's funny. I've listened to it a lot and I don't know, I don't know that I've ever thought, you know, pissed off is necessarily the phrase I would use to describe how you sound. Um, if there's anger in it that I can hear, it's more from uh, the conviction or the certainty or the assuredness that you now have mm. that you have been wrong, that you missed a lot of things, and that you're not going to let it happen again. Right. And that's hopefully the lesson of the songwriter. I like the uh, the reference to the holy war. The I, th- I thought it was a holy, roar, a holy war. Um, r- really the battlefield imagery of the of the chorus. And that was, I think that was what made me think that it could have something to do with some sort of political or socially conscious type of disillusionment. But that idea of blind faith keeping me in the fight for us, it does feel so often, especially when, when we are committed in a relationship that um, us, that us is kind of the holiest thing worth fighting for. Right. But if that us is something that you eventually can kind of see that it is unhealthy and you know really detrimental to the health and well-being of of both people that's when the smoke needs to to roll back and and things things should be seen clearly yeah i mean and and it's something that we generally want to believe in right if you want to if you find yourself in a in relationship and, and and you know whether that's romantic or not it's like that's what gives us a lot of meaning and, uh, and, and, you know, and we want to be around for other people and, and, and letting them into our lives. But, um, it's, you know, it's unfortunate, but sometimes that's, you have to end it or, you know, you, you, you realize that that's, this is hurting you and this is, you know, not good for anybody. So, um, yeah, it's, it's the tough reality. But. Now you treat me like a stranger walked out of my life and changed my world the day you made me your enemy. Mm-hmm. Is that from your perspective? Like it feels to you like your enemies now, or, or is that more a reference to how you feel like you're being treated now? This is, you know, this, this line relates to some specific actions um, <laughs> by the <laughs> person of this relationship. So, so it's like, you know, and, and the point here isn't to drag that out really, but just, it's like, you know, if I was wronged in a certain way, it just made an enemy out of some, out of me. Not that I, not that I wanted to be her enemy, but it was sure it in enemy in that song, in that spot in the song is partially, you know, the description of the relationship, but it's also the metaphor of the war and the, right. the, the battle. So it's like, you know, the whole tone of the song and the language that I chose for it is going to, you know, take it to that place where, whereas, you know, is this person in real life my enemy? No, of course not. Right, I, right. I, I, you know, if I saw her today, it'd be kind of weird, but fine. Um, you sure. know, <laughs> so, so, you know, um, yeah. So, so not so much, you know, a reference to anger or hatred as it is an acknowledgement of irreconcilable opposition. Yeah. It's, it's like, we are no longer on the same team here. And sure. It's yeah. It's, it's a, the turning point. It's, it's like, this is all, this is over. So how much time passed, um, between all of this transpiring and you at least beginning the song? Oh yeah. Um, probably at least, I would say about a year and a half. Uh, or maybe about a year when I started writing it and then I finished it um, probably a year and a half, almost two years later. Really? It, like not from, not from starting the writing, but from the events. So I, I see. Okay. Um, okay. So yeah, it was, it took some, it was a little time of uh, brewing in there. Yeah, that that see that's interesting because I feel like if if this was written, I don't know what that says about it or me as the listener. Um, 
if if this is if all these words are coming you know in the moment almost immediately after that would give the weight of that would make the weight of it all so much different than that you wrote it you know with almost a year a full year or two of retrospect <laughs> yeah it's it's late enough that it's like man just get over it it's cool well no i <laughs> that's not at all what i'm saying i think like there's a clarity in the lyrics and a certainty to it that I think would have, you know, if you wrote it in the moment, might have man- manifested itself more as anger. Possibly. You know what was interesting is when that relationship ended, I wrote a few songs directly after, and they were all, they were they were very peaceful. They were very... Um, About the relationship? Not necessarily. They were just... Uh, what came out at the time and it was it was not angry it was kind of like let me try to make something i I don't think this was conscious but it was just let me make something beautiful and good and that's not the bitter things that i'm like feeling right now and um because i don't want to stay there and i don't i don't think that's really you know like i was never thankfully i was never worried in a situation that oh now my life is ruined forever you know because this sure you know so i think uh it was kind of a situation of this is bad you never feel good about something like that so it feels bad and the way to respond to that it was maybe just therapeutic let me write something beautiful let me right um let me just comment on life in a way that's not you know, it's not bitter, even about something that you might be bitter about. It's like, I don't know, not not that I'm a, incapable of being bitter or, or petty. I'm not, you know, I wish. That would be cool. Um, you, you don't seem that way to me. <laughs> uh, bitter or petty? Yeah. And and maybe that's why I've never heard that when listening to this song. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe you seem really bitter and angry to your old neighbors across the street. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think part of it was the video too. I think there's just like an expression, facial expressions and, you know, which isn't, I'm not even thinking bitter in the moment. I was just trying to put the song forth, you know, and, and, and so I, maybe that was part of the, their reaction. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't want to be bitter about anything. And I think in general, I'm, decent about you know if i have bitter emotions letting it go but and and actually songwriting really is a good tool for that it's it's uh like i i right now i want to write a song that's about jealousy and is about you know like the comparison struggle that everybody in the world goes through you know it's like for me that's that can be a bigger source of bitterness i, I don't know it's just like okay, everyone feels that way sometimes, but you don't have to live there and it's it's just not worth living there. And, you know, so that's not a fun life. And it's it's way more fun to go try and do something else, um, you know, and, and accomplish anything, uh, whether that's like your music career or gardening or whatever, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think for me, writing is a good way to, to voice things and then I can look at it in this little capsule of a song and process it. And, and then I can pull that emotion out when I'm playing the song. In fact, if I play this song, if I play fighting for the wrong side, um, I often try to think about the whole situation as I'm singing it. You know, it's like, I want to place myself there mentally as I'm performing it. And, and I would say almost all my songs have like a particular person or image in mind that, that helped me get to the place um, where it came from. And so, I don't know, it's uh, it's at the very least like a good therapeutic uh, outlet for, um, for, for songwriters, you know. Let me, uh, let me pull something up here real quick. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Mike Mangione. Uh-huh. He was on episode eight. And this is one thing he said in our conversation that it, feels very applicable to what you just said. He says, my goal is to perform it in a way that's true to the place from where I wrote it. And sometimes you have to mentally do gymnastics to get yourself in that place. Songwriting is like cutting yourself and you're giving a little bit of your blood, 
but over time it scabs, it heals. And over time you kind of lose that spot, that source of where it came from. Whether things change in your life or you can't remember. So as a songwriter, I try to tap back into that vein and try to get back to that source. End quote. Yeah, that's that's pretty much exactly what I'm trying to say. Just he said it much more eloquently. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciated it when when he heard it. I was like, oh, thank you. You just articulated how I've always felt. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I, for me, it's it's the people. It's it's I I when I think of fighting for the wrong side, I think of that person, that relationship, and it's um and uh and. I think as far as playing live, especially it's like the best thing in the best shows and, and the best, like the most fun and powerful moments I think are when you can be in the moment as possible and forgetting about what your hands are doing and what you're, you know, even trying to remember lyrics is a distraction. It's the more you can feel like someone else is doing it and not you, you know, it's like, it's just, it's just, uh, I think that's where the power is. And, so I just try to sit in that place um, and picture that person in my mind's eye. And, and, uh, and when you successfully do that, it's, that's a pretty amazing feeling like no other where it's, it's like at the very least you're channeling your past self, right? It, it's, it, it's like, so it's like Mike said, it's like, you, you know, the wounds have healed, but you can still, you can still access it. And that's uh, it's a good thing. Yeah. And when you look down at the scar, you still, you never forget how you got it. Right. Yeah. So how much, um, if you started writing this about a year after everything happened, after it fell apart, can you recall why this subject, why this story? Um, because it was, you know, still my, my most recent and relatable relationship experience. And I was, I hadn't written that much about it. You know, I, well, I should take that back. I had, I had tried and I can think of some songs I wrote at the time that were around it. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like our, our experiences and our hurts are particularly, it's like a rich spot to dig for not just material, but like something that's really going to come across and be true and be, it's like, man, this, this really hurt. So let's, let's use that to, uh, to kind of let some other people in on what I went, what, what, how I felt about it. And, and then let them, like you were saying earlier, bring their hurts to the table and kind of, you know, and, and I wouldn't say, I would say the song is brooding and dark, but it's not, it's not negative though. You know, it's not, um, it's not bitter. It's still not bitter. Even if it's like, I was naive and foolish if you realize you're fighting for the wrong side, like you still come out, but in a, you you come out better than you were because now at least, you know, yeah, I, again, I think I said this earlier too. I never, it's never felt bitter or negative to me. It, it, it has always just felt kind of like a sad and tragic, but necessary acknowledgement. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I think this song was, uh, it's a great example in, in terms of like of all of all my songs. It's one of the it, it's really connected to the emotion, you know, and it's um, really feel like, OK, what I was feeling and trying to get out, get through this song, it captured it, you know, and I felt like it was a successful song in that way where it's like it's kind of it's kind of the goal. It's like if I write, I want it to be connected to something real and uh and hit the listener in a pretty powerful way. And, and, and that's, it's not always easy to do, you know? Um, so I wrote fighting for the wrong side. Now it's been, uh, almost four years. So that would have been 2014. Like, I think I, I think I finished it in September, 2014. And so, um, so it's kind of, it's one of the songs to me, that's the centerpiece of the album. And it's been in my, pocket for a long time and like this is an important song to put out yeah, um, um but being the first one that i wrote on the upright it's uh i could you know I, I pulled it off to some level then but i think i'm a lot better at what i do now after four years of just doing it a lot and 
practicing and writing more songs and having to arrange more stuff that's actually even, you know, uh, quite a bit more difficult than that song on a technical level. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe most non-writers or, or non-performers don't think about just this aspect of like, oh, a musician writes a song it doesn't mean he can play the song, you know, <laughs> it's like right. sing the song. Uh, and so, uh, so for me and with the particularly weird thing that I'm doing with the bass, it's like, I have to, I have to practice pretty hard at, at the, just being able to play it in a convincing way. So. Sure. Well, I, I mean, I'm convinced. So. <laughs> well, you'll, that's my band guys. Like we, we rehearsed the other day and, and, um, we were uh, <laughs> like, we were playing this Paul Simon song um, that just has some really tricky independent stuff. And it's like, you sing this one line while this baseline's happening. And it's, and there's a couple times it's like, okay, guys, I've almost got it, but let's just do it a few more times for me because I'm not even just like, oh, I was a little out of tune. It's just like, I, it's, it's like the train can fall off the track. And so I try to not let that happen. But, uh, but yeah, it's, that's that's part of the fun for me too though it's just trying to do something challenging and interesting so there there are several several spots on this track when i can you know very clearly hear you breathing uh-huh and i know that that's probably something that's a little harder to control because just handling the upright bass that requires a little more energy than most other stringed instruments <laughs> um so do you have to go to like greater lengths to kind of stifle that when you're in the studio to kind of control that more and, or did you intentionally not worry about it at all for this take? Because I think it adds a lot to it. Um, yeah, you know, it's, <laughs> I like that intentionally not worry about it at all. Um, I, yeah, like I will intentionally remember to forget <laughs> about, uh, about breathing. Um, so, um, I guess that is funny. <laughs> no, it's funny. Um, you know, I didn't think about it at all. Okay, and that's the short answer. But the in uh, that recording is actually one microphone. So, uh, so that's just it's just me and, and a microphone. And so, so that's why also it's going to pick up a lot of um, just whatever's surrounding, you know, and including my breathing. But I think they, for what I'm doing, I don't think it takes away. You know, I, I think music sounds weird when you take out all the breaths. Some producers do that. Like there's sure none, or you could duck them in volume. You know, so because I, you know, I didn't mix my own record, so I don't know what exactly my mixing engineer for the album version. You know, maybe if some breath sticks way out, he might duck it. But I think in general, it's pretty. You just let it be. You know, the only reason I ask is because I have played with guys who their breathing is very noticeable when they're playing. Yeah. For anyone for anyone who has not experienced this, this is gonna be like <laughs> a weird a weird part of the conversation. But their breaths are noticeable and you kinda of wonder, are they conscious of how heavily they're breathing while they play? I would um, not, you know, I mean <laughs> Yeah. But what I but I notice them in this recording and I honestly think it enhances the mood because especially where they fall in between the certain lines, it's these, you know, deep right. breaths in, like, you know, you're trying to find the words or you're trying to, to find hmm. your composure or muster your strength to say what you, what you want to say. Well, I mean, that's, that's cool too. I think, I think to say you're talking to somebody and it's like, it's somehow the, sound of their breathing was magically reduced to zero. Um, I, I think you, you might, you wouldn't know why, but that conversation would be really strange to you. You know, it's, it's one of those, things yeah, sure. You probably don't think about too much, but it's so natural and it's so, we're so used to hearing that in conversation that I think in a song, um, now we're usually breathing harder because we're singing. So you're going to push some air, you know? So it's like, right. We probably don't breathe as hard in a conversation as we do when we're, in the studio tracking, laying down that vocal, you know, and, and trying to sing at the top of your lungs. And I, I, so it's probably a little different, but I think when you take out all the breaths, it's very unnatural and it's very, um, 
I don't know. I think some producers and vocal producers get really anal about that. And they're, they're, you know, they want just the right breaths. They'll, they'll chop breaths out of one part of the song just to insert it because it sounds a little more natural to them, you know, um, and doesn't stick out as much, but isn't just gone. And then you, it's a weird thing. So it's kind of, I would, I would just relate it to conversation. You, you, you don't have any breaths in a conversation. You, it's a cue. It's like a, that's uh, how we thought. Yeah. I just wasn't sure, sure to what extent you, I don't know. Yeah. Not very, you know what I'm saying? Not a my, my, choice. <laughs> yeah. Well, my point is that I think it actually adds a lot yeah. given the, uh, well, the mood of the song. So yeah. 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 Then it was intentional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you, you know, Keith Jarrett, are you familiar with Keith Jarrett? Ah, uh, no. Great jazz piano player. I, I mean, not like, do you know it? Like, you wouldn't. Right. No, I'm not. I'm not familiar with his stuff. So. Well, he's. I mean, he's a jazz legendary player, you know, and um, pianist, and he's famous for getting all kinds of weird, not just breathing, but like singing along to the piano in this horrible nasal voice, and he's like, <laughs> his he's like crouched over the piano and bare, it, it, to watch him play is it looks like he's in severe pain the whole time. And then he's, he's going nah, 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 yeah, like kind of like this, like really tense, uh, breathing, screaming, whining. It's a terrible sound, but it's just, <laughs> but it, his playing is so brilliant. And so it, it, and it, you just forgive it because it's, it's part of his sound and it's, it's really bizarre, but, uh, you know, it's, that's how he plays. And, uh, and so, you know, I guess that's a random story that has nothing to do with anything, but, <laughs> but you can breathe, I guess. That's funny. So I, I really enjoy this kind of single take version of the song. When will the, uh, when will the new record be appearing with, uh, with the updated version on it? Yeah. So the album is coming out uh, this fall and um, we'll be announcing the specific date before very long. Um, right now we have actually a Kickstarter campaign um, as a way to pre-order the album. And um, what we're doing with that campaign is raising a marketing and radio budget for the album. So we're, so if you want to find that, it's a, it's probably the best way to stay on if like to jump on board to what we're doing with the album. And then when it comes out um, in September, uh, or October, it's, it's going to be, you know, they're waiting for you. So that album that you have with fighting for the wrong side is called days to come. And it's, it was sort of a limited release. I printed some copies and I put it on Bandcamp, but it's not on, you know, iTunes, Spotify, all that. So the, the full definitive versions are coming and um, hopefully it's a, enough of a preview for people to hear the song and then, and then be ready for the, the full version, which actually is still just solo. I made that production choice. It's like, this just seems to work by itself. I don't want to over bake it. You know, I just want to put it out there because I think the budget would be really helpful um, and help expand what I'm doing, not just for this record, uh, but for the, the whole career. And, you know, this being my first album as a, as a true solo artist with no backup plan, you know, because um, I've always been a side guy as a bass player. I was always playing in bands and um, touring with other artists, which is a great experience. But um, I really, I quit all that in November and uh, last year. And so I've been on my own since then. And so it's it's not about having like crazy unrealistic expectations for what the album will do, but but it's about saying like, okay, this is this is really a, statement we're making and we're going to put effort and planning and money behind it to get it to as many people as possible and hopefully reach the some critical mass of like okay now i just have all these enough people on board to um support the touring side of things and to be ready for um my next album too so you know so it's how does this grow into something that's a really viable career um, and that's a whole other conversation uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now we're talking about yeah, music yeah. business but it's like 
you know, it's, uh, that's why I'm doing it is, um, it's, it deserves the chance. folks who check out this podcast because an artist they know, love, and follow is being featured. But I've received a refreshing amount of feedback from folks who subscribe to Song and & Story and listen to every episode, regardless of whether or not they're familiar with the featured artist. To them, that's part of the fun. It's a big part of what they love about the show, that they're experiencing new music in such a unique way while discovering artists who are talented, different, and thoughtful. So if you enjoyed this episode, check out the others. I think you'll enjoy them too. And if you enjoyed my conversation with Scott and want to learn more about him and his music, check out his website, scottmulvahill.com, or look him up on iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, Bandcamp, all those sites. I'll include links in the show notes on Song and Story Podcast. 
kickstarter.com. Also, be sure to check out Scott's project on Kickstarter. As of the release of this episode, July 20th, 2018, there are about 10 days left in his Kickstarter campaign. If you'd like to help support and sustain this podcast, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com slash song and story. Every little bit helps keep this train rolling, and you'll get access to bonus episodes and other additional content. You can follow me, Kevin Heider, and Song and Story Podcast on social media, and you can find all those links on songandstorypodcast.com. Thank you for listening. Because you still are, here's a little bonus clip. Enjoy. Um, uh, hold on one second. My phone rang in there. Did you hear it? I did not. I did hear and see your long-haired, bearded roommate making some cereal or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, when the, when your neighbors thought that you were angry, uh-huh. does anyone else ever tell you that? Because I had somebody once... I was really young when I did this open mic thing and this guy came up to me and said, Hey, that was great. When you sing, you look like you're in pain. And it, <laughs> I, I never considered how I look. So it made me kind of self-conscious, but do you, do other people tell you that type of stuff? Well, there's a difference between, to me, between like, I don't want to look like I'm in pain as in I look tense and awkward and not comfortable. Like I want to be very relaxed while I'm singing, but that's different though than, I sense this emotion and, you know, and I want them to have that reaction. Like that's the, sure. So, um, yeah, to me, it's like, I'm trying to avoid that. The singing face that just looks like you're struggling (laughs) so hard. Um, yeah, I'm trying to avoid that, but yet, uh, like kind of unlocking the, the emotion and the hurt. and And so, you know, it's funny because I had, I played live somewhere and I had someone, someone wrote me after this one performance, like about the song Himalayas um, saying, you know, I love that song and I've always found it inspiring, but until I heard you play it live, I had never sensed the anger in that song and the, the, like the level of, of uh, just intensity, I guess. Uh, And, and, uh, and I just thought that comment was really interesting because that song, um, if anyone, you know, for the listeners, like it's about um, the course is like, I want to go where I've never been and find what I've been missing. And I, I, I kind of took that comment and I was, man, that's really interesting. And I'll take it because it's not, I mean, the primary emotion is not anger at all, but right. But there's a desperate and intense thing about it. So it's like that can, it, it should be intense. That shouldn't be like, I, I don't know. That's how I felt. But, um, yeah, I think, I think it's all, it's all like swirled up into one messy thing and, and maybe there's a little anger there. Hey, it's fine.